Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Richard Borgman. And Richard is a longtime Christian missionary and a later in life convert to the Catholic Church, and his story is fascinating. We actually got to know Richard because his son is one of the priests here in the Diocese of Orange, and his story has um, been broadcast before. He's currently a missionary, but this time working for the Catholics. Welcome, Richard, to our program. Thank you, Rick. And if you would be so kind before we do anything else as to lead us in a brief word of prayer, I think everyone would be appreciative. Mm. Thank you, Lord. We place ourselves in your presence today, folding our wills into thine, that we might become what and who we were created to be today through spiritual conversations with you and with one another so that mercy would win through our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, the story that I have briefly been acquainted with, there's uh, some writing that you did that uh, outlined a little bit of your calling, demonstrates, I think, graphically how God and all of his foreknowledge and wisdom can know a life before it ever begins. Mm-hmm. And he called you from from birth, really, to have a very special place in this world. Tell us a little bit about your story, which really, literally, goes all the way back to your conception. Mm-hmm. Well, I was born in January 28th, 1947. Actually, I have a relic of St. Thomas Aquinas here, a bone of St. Thomas Aquinas, which is the 28th of January. And... Uh, my mother abandoned me at birth. I never knew my father or my mother, biological. I have no idea who they were. I have no idea how I was conceived, whether it was a natural birth or um, though I was I was born premature and I knew what it was to be homeless from the time I was born because uh, that's what I was, was homeless. And, of course, that leaves traces on your soul. We were created to have a mother and a father and be loved and held and caressed and sung to and all of that, and I didn't have any of that, so that led a, left a pretty big uh, hole in, in my heart. But uh, fortunately, at 10 days old, in 1947, you could adopt a child like you uh, choose a ham at the supermarket. You know, you just go down the line and practically pick up the one you want, and there were 10 babies there, and I was there in the middle. I had Pink's disease, which is like leprosy, and was uh, very small and Where was sick. Where uh, uh, Presbyterian Hospital in Denver, Colorado. Wow. Okay. And um, at 10 days old, a, a woman came to try to adopt a baby, and she went down the line of the 10 there, and I was squeezed in between two healthy babies there. And I facetiously tell people as she came in front of me, I cried out in baby talk, Adopt me, adopt me. <laughs> and she stopped and she said, That's the baby that God has chosen for me. And the, uh, doctor said, no, you don't want that baby. He's very sick. He's probably going to die. Choose a healthy one. 
uh, kind of like the devil says when Jesus wants to adopt someone into his family, you know, take the take the good ones, and and Jesus always takes the the ones made of dirt, like like me and you. And uh, she adopted me, took me home with her husband. Uh, my adopted father was forty five years old when I was born, so there was a few generations difference between us. And took me home to Colorado Springs, and I started vomiting clots of blood. She had to rush me back to the hospital, and uh, the doctor said, take another baby. <laughs> I told you so. Uh, true story, totally true. Uh, she would tell me the story, you know, when I was little. She put me on a stool, and she would tell me this story, and I know it's true. And uh, th- three months later, I, I, I had to have a, a blood transfusion, and they couldn't find my blood type. And so they made a call on the radio, and at the last minute, uh, a fireman, we love firemen in America, a fireman came and gave his blood. I, I can't wait to meet him in heaven to thank him for giving his blood, saving my life, like Jesus gave his blood to save us spiritually, you know. So I I had a sense of the poverty uh, and the pain of humanity from the very start. I do lots of retreats with youth, and with uh, I was in uh, Kigali, Zaire, East Africa, recently, and uh, spoke at an orphanage, a Mother Teresa orphanage there, and what an experience, because all the kids that they have gone out on the streets and picked up, the wonderful sisters, they're crippled, they're emaciated, they're, their mothers have abandoned them on the street for whatever the reason is, and they bring them in, and for me to be able to say I, I was an orphan, even though 10 days, because we need our mother from the moment in the womb to have somebody say, I love you. Uh, I, actually, when I meet a, a woman who's pregnant, I like to lay my hands on, on the stomach if she allows me and just say, whisper to the baby, I want to be a missionary. I want to be a missionary. <laughs> but... Uh, she was able to take me home, and I was sickly all the time, and I was angry from the time I could walk and talk and rebellious, and I didn't know why. They were very nice parents. They were Methodist, uh, took me to church. I wasn't baptized. Uh, I never really heard the gospel, or if I did, you know, I wasn't listening when I was young, and uh, I began stealing things and stealing cars when I was 12 years old. I couldn't even get up oh, wow. to see over the steering wheel, so I'd have to get on a cushion and stole a, a Jeep from a priest one time. Actually, I wasn't Catholic. I <laughs> didn't know anything about Catholics at all. And But God was seeking me out already, you know. he's Even if we don't know him, he he's watching. He's I love uh, Psalms 139 because it tells this story of, God coming after us wherever we are, and though we don't know him, though we aren't saved in the traditional sense of the word, he's there, and and he, he kind of cheats a little bit. I Maybe that's not the right word, but he, he does acts of mercy. Acts of mercy are, are not logical. They're not legal. You know, you sin, you die. That's normal. But you sin, Jesus dies, and you go free. That's mercy. That's not normal for people, you know. So, I've never heard it called a cheat before, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank God for mercy. Yeah, uh, it's the only virtue of God that does not have a, a balancing uh, virtue. As in my mind, we have several books on mercy. And when I was, I did lots of rock climbing in the mountains of Colorado, 
And when I was 19, with a friend of mine, we went up to Long's Peak, which is in Estes Park in Colorado, and uh, we were climbing an overhanging fence face uh, called the Diagonal. It's 1,000 feet high. Let me stop you for just a moment. I have a feeling I, I know where this is going to go. Before we get there, so you were 19, but you had been ill when you were young, and my understanding is that you always kind of had a weak disposition physically, mm-hmm. that you were kind of, scrawny is the wrong term, but you... Scrawny is a good term. Scrawny is a good term, okay. Yeah. You were you were tall but thin. Pencil thin. And um, Always. And, and so taking on rock climbing is... It almost sounds like a way to um, to take charge again of your life a little bit. I don't know. I don't. I didn't do much in my life by thinking thinking yeah. it into being. I just it kind just of graze through life. Huh? People go, "What's your plan?" I go, "I just graze." <laughs> Not to get caught. <laughs> <And> when, <laughs> there's something to eat. I eat it. Where's somewhere to go? I just go. You know, if a car's coming, then I get down on all fours <laughs> and get back up on two when they leave. You know, it's just my whole life is grazing. Fortunately, when the Holy Spirit came in our lives, I began to hear the voice of God in my heart, and that started to direct my life. But Let's go back to your rock then. So I, okay. I wanted to set that up a little bit. This Thank is you. not exactly. Super, yeah. yeah. you got to stop me. Uh, when, no, you're fine. I'll just roll. <laughs> and it was November, right after Thanksgiving, I was 19 years old, and I was on this overhanging face where the sun never shines uh, for five days. It was 75 degrees below zero with the chill factor. The snow was 14 feet deep at the base of the 14,000 feet where I was climbing. No one had ever climbed it in the winter. And I did some stupid things. You know, your your frontal lobe of your brain is, I taught neurology at a university after that, but the frontal lobe of the brain is not developed until after 20 years old. So yeah. we make most of our stupid decisions before we're 20, bungee jumping. You know, yeah. you can't see a 60-year-old person bungee jumping. We're, we're smart enough to know that. He has self-control. <laughs> well, God had intended, I believe, that our families would surround us. And with the proper training and moral teaching, that we won't do crazy things, but I I had no covering. I was really rebellious. If you told me to go left, I went right. To stop, I would go forward. I just there was something in me that it, it wasn't taught by society around me. I think it was there from from birth forward, which we'll eventually we'll get to that. And so after five days on on the face, overhanging face, uh. I did something stupid, and when I wake up in the morning now, I, my prayer is, Lord, help me not to do something stupid today that would hurt somebody. But at that time, I didn't know the Lord or Savior, and uh, I did something stupid, and I, I fell 150 feet. Okay, The only way to imagine what that's like is if you fell off of a 10-story building yeah. onto the sidewalk. That's the way I fell. I saw... My life goes before me as a film, and I knew I was going to die because two weeks before, another climber had fallen near there, and they carried him off in a a two-foot-wide box. There was nothing left. So as I was falling headfirst in midair, my thought was to turn my body at least so that my head wouldn't hit. And my body on one side hit the granite boulder, huge granite boulder, maybe 20 feet uh, in diameter, and and my body bounced 10 feet in the air, 
my friend told me I was unconscious. By then, he saw me falling. I had no rope or protection or anything. And uh, I bounced 10 feet in the air. We're not made of rubber, <laughs> you know. I can laugh now, but I wasn't laughing then, I can assure you. And then my body hit the rock again. I bounced again, almost 10 feet in the air, and then my body catapulted out into the glacier. And I opened my eyes, and I was alive. I hurt everywhere. Before I fell, I said I was an atheist. Um, well, you know, when we have a concussion, sometimes we lose our uh, short-term memory. And the first words out of my mouth were, thank you, God, that I'm alive, the God in whom I did not believe. <laughs> Whoever he was, Buddhist or Muslim or Christian or what, I didn't know anything about who that God was. I just knew that God, and I heard everywhere, but there was no blood. And with this this pain... I couldn't move or anything. I was encrusted in the glacier, or I would have fallen another 1,200 feet. My friend put me on his back, carried me down, took 36 hours to get me to the hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado, where I taught. And uh, they x-rayed me from head to foot, and they said, Richard, nothing's broken. We can find nothing broken. The cartilage is bruised everywhere. I got up. I put my arm around my fiance, who's been my wife now for 55 years. Hobbled De- out of the Denel, hospital. who's in the Denel. studio here yeah. listening. Hobbled out of the hospital, and one week later, I competed in a gymnastics meet at the university. So nobody can tell me that there's no God or that he cannot do this or that. But I didn't know who he was. Wow. So you literally fell for God, um, head over heels. Fell and... on God or, <laughs> or my, guardian, on the rock. <laughs> my guardian angel was probably in a cast for about 10 years. Oh. <laughs> Somebody caught me. You know, I don't even, I don't have faith to this day. I'll be 75 next month. I do not have faith to believe that God will keep me from falling. I have faith to believe that God will catch me every time I fall. I mean, physically, yeah. I'm always falling. I still fall, sin, whatever it is, but God's always there. And I remember how he caught me when I fell off that mountain. We are listening to Richard Borgman, who is a convert to the Catholic faith, having spent many years as a missionary, and his story is quite compelling. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what led him to not only take on a life of being a missionary, but to then become a Catholic. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Richard Borgman. And Richard Borgman is a longtime Christian missionary who has, in his later life, become Catholic. And when I say later life, it actually has been a while because he's got a son who had been evangelical, who then also became Catholic, Hmm. and is now a priest in our own diocese. And Hmm. the story that Richard has about how he was really called from his early youth to becoming a servant of God Hmm. is a fascinating story. And we were just talking about how he literally fell for God and uh, kind of bounced into the kingdom of heaven when he fell 150 feet and hit rock. And the first thing out of his mouth, this this atheist's mouth was, thank you, God. And his life ever since then has had God far more directly 
uh, on the forefront of his mind. I think that's a fair way of putting it, isn't sure. it, Richard? That's perfect. So yes. what happened after you, you said you had competed in gymnastics, which means probably a benefit to you falling off that rock was that you were obviously in shape. And a fairly light person. Yeah, I was in shape. God worked with that. Mm. (laughs) Works with what? Yeah. So, with that in mind, you've been a fairly intense person your entire life, haven't you? Pretty much. Yeah. I I just have. I still leave a little rubber on the floor getting out of the bed in the morning. I don't know why. I just have (laughs) a spontaneous self-starting motor. And it was hard for me to realize that not everybody's like that and to not be too loud and boisterous the first thing in the morning. My wife has to have coffee before she releases herself oh, on Dan, me. No, I, I love you already. I, yeah. Coffee's wonderful. <laughs> God made a beautiful thing with coffee. But God knew that. You know, when he calls someone to be a overseas missionary, this, this year is our 50th year as full-time lifer missionaries. That's all we do. My son says I'm a mercy terrorist. But uh, (laughs) this is still all we do. We are missionaries. Our commitment from the very beginning was 20 years in Africa, 20 years in the French-speaking world. Now, I understand before we go there, you kind of went to Africa kicking and screaming. It wasn't something you really wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I I met the Lord through my wife because my wife in 1972, uh, Jesus found her. And it was right after the birth of our, uh, well, actually, my our daughter was born in 1971, I think it was, and uh, she was very tiny, but there were no sonograms then, and the doctor had to listen with a stethoscope, and he said, it's a big, healthy baby, and at the birth of our daughter, she was very small. We named her Maggie May after a song by Rod Stewart, and (laughs) I looked at my wife, and she was still (laughs) very large, laying there on the table, and and I tapped the doctor on the shoulder and said, Doc, look at my wife. She's still uh, fat. And uh, 12 minutes later, a boy was born. And God <laughs> slid the boy in there. The doctor did not know they were twins. We did not know they were twins. Only God knew they were twins. And now he's uh, a priest in this diocese. So God can I get his way. I didn't know that was how Scott was born. God wow. can get his way. So we had we have twins and and so uh, from after my fall, I, w- I was on a search for God, plus I was studying and teaching neurology, neuroanatomy at the university, and I was on a search for those lifelong questions. Why is there so much suffering and persecution? Why did my mother abandon me? You know, all those things. I wasn't Christian, didn't want to be Christians. They were, uh, from my point of view, there was a lot of hypocrisy in the Christian denominations. But well, From 20, my point of view, that's true. Yeah. At 25 years old, uh, my wife, right after the birth of the twins, uh, she was sick all the time. She had bronchitis, but she was invited for a dinner, a free dinner. So she went. I wouldn't go to things like that. And they had a gospel. They had gospel guitarists, and they gave testimonies and all. This was in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, Colorado State University. And uh, at the end, uh, the businessman that testified about Jesus in his life, he said, if you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus invite him into your heart and he will make himself real to you and my wife bowed her head and she said jesus i don't know you if you're real somehow show yourself to me and at that moment she felt a warmth going up her chest out her throat and she was healed of the bronchitis and she looked down at the paper on the table and she could no longer read it she she wore glasses her eyes were 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 not good at all and she had to take her glasses off 
to read it because God had healed her eyes. Wow. And for 25 years after that, she didn't wear glasses. So nobody can tell me that God can't catch you or God can't heal you because this was our experience. And she had so much joy when Jesus came into her life that she, for weeks, she couldn't stop smiling. She would get cramps in her cheeks, and she would tap her cheeks because she, <laughs> she'd get cramps. And that's what brought me to Jesus. It was, and what I do, I do 100%, or I don't do it at all. And yeah. God knew that, too. He created me that way, you know. So right away we went, Lord, we made him Savior and Lord. It's interesting we're doing a retreat there in uh, Yorba Linda on Jesus, Savior and Lord. And most people know Jesus as their Savior. They have never made him Lord of their lives. The word is valeity. Valeity means a desire or intention not strong enough to move you to action. (laughs) Most people go, oh, I'd like to make Jesus Lord, but I'm afraid he's going to tell me to do something I don't want to do. So I'll just keep him as Savior and get into heaven. (laughs) But We made him Savior and Lord at the same instant, and we started praying right away, and it was very rapidly that we received a calling from God himself to be missionaries. And I left my teaching job at the university. I had a wonderful job. I had job security. We had a house. We were building the second house. We gave it all away. We we were so dumb, we did what the gospel said. Go and sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And so that's what we did. Wow. Well, in 1975, I visited Africa just to encourage some missionaries there. And um, I wanted to be a missionary, and Danelle too, but uh, like on the French Riviera or in Southern California. <laughs> and uh, I had never seen many black Americans uh, where I come from. There were very few. And uh, the, the astonishing thing was getting off that Pan Am flight in 1975, was everybody was black. And what was the most amazing thing was to see so many poor people happy. <laughs> they were poor, but they were happy. And for one week, I gritted my teeth and taught how God gives us faith and we grow and all those things because I'd memorize hundreds and hundreds of verses by them out of the Bible. And and uh, one week later, I ran to get up in that airplane to get out of Africa forever. And as I settled down into that air-conditioned airplane, I said three things to the Lord. This is totally true. The first thing I said was, thank you, Lord, for this difficult time in Africa. And I I gripped my teeth. Thank thank you, Lord, for this difficult time, because I was taught, be thankful in all things, even if you have to grit your teeth to say thank you. Secondly, I said, oh, Lord, send missionaries to Africa. They need the gospel. I'd spent this week there, and they all spoke languages I didn't understand, and the kids ran after me, and the mosquitoes were huge, and it was hot and humid, and I didn't sleep, so I knew that I wasn't called to Africa. I said, please, Lord, send missionaries to Africa. They need you. And then the third thing I said was, thank you, Lord, that I'll never go back to Africa. And and, uh, all of a sudden I heard a still, small voice. And I'd started reading the Bible in 1972. You you kind of hear God laughing at you, right? Yeah, laughing. (laughs) It dropped into a thought. And the, the unfortunate thing, I say that jokingly, but the unfortunate thing was I had learned to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of me you don't always know you know but sometimes he's rebuking you for something and and being a missionary i spent lots of time listening and 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 swallowing the bible and 
and out on the streets, uh, stopping people on the streets. And, and so I knew that still small voice. And when I said, thank you, Lord, I'll never go back to Africa, I heard that still small voice in the depths of my spirit say, you're going to serve me in Africa. And I can tell you, Rick, I was terrified. I, I was terrified because I, I was there but with a choice. You know, Jesus is your Savior by the mercy of God. You believe that Jesus suffered, died, rose the third day, and you're trying to live a moral life. You're going to heaven. You really don't have to worry as much as Catholics worry about it. But Lordship's different. I could have said no to God. I won't go to Africa. I would not have lost my salvation but I would have lost the blessing of the obedience to my Lord, which is probably the biggest need in the world today. Of all the crises in the world that could be solved, it's by lordship that we would move from saviorship to lordship in all of our churches and denominations. And so I said I in that plane, I'll never forget, uh, uh, October 1975, I, I took a deep breath and I said the longest word in the English language I said to God. I said, yes. <laughs> and at the same time, my <laughs> wife was saying yes to God back in our fellowship to go even to Africa. Two months later, two suitcases each. We left our three children in Fort Collins with friends for four months. We went with fear and trembling and much apprehension, like the apostle said, to Africa. And for 17 years, on a word in our hearts, we served God in the slums of Africa. And it changed our lives. And because of that, we're Catholic today, an evangelical pastor. 25 years, I was a successful evangelical missionary and pastor. And if I hadn't have gone to Africa, I'm sure... We would not be Catholic today. Let's hold on for just a second, because you were saying you were an evangelical minister. You were not Catholic at the time. What denomination or group were you involved with at the time? Or what kind? Because there's lots well, of flavors of, of of Protestantism. We started out with something called the Assemblies of God. Very nice people, yeah. Pentecostal. They believe in the Holy Spirit being directly involved in their lives. Yeah. And then we moved more towards kind of the vineyard uh, okay. attitude, which is charismatic, more loving, not better or anything. You asked me the question, so I'm trying to yeah, describe yeah. what we were. But because we I spent, would say they have more fun at their... Yeah, at their services, and they dance more, and, yeah. and and I just liked that freedom, plus the Bible. So I, there was a, a grain of Presbyterian and Baptist and Calvinism. It honestly was a, a big mishmash of of uh, beliefs that were true, but there was always the part that was was harsh was this error we were all the thing that united us as protestants and evangelicals was that the catholics were wrong we didn't always know how they were wrong but we knew <laughs> that they were wrong and when we first came to christ we went to every kind of meeting you know catholic whatever and then somebody took us aside and said you gotta watch out for those catholics because you could get a demon and the popes the antichrist and Things you don't even want me yeah. to repeat to you, but uh, that was tracks, our train. <laughs> but in Africa, I started working in the prison, and I was able to observe, and I had almost no influence from the United States. We prepared our day. I would 
get up and study French at 3.30 in the morning, and then from 4 in the morning till 10 at night, I would evangelize on the streets. It took me about a year to learn French to be able to communicate. And So when I, I would go to the prison and work in the prison with a big prison, 4,500 prisoners in a prison built for 1,500 uh, 30 in cells built for 10, many dying of malnutrition and tuberculosis and, and AIDS. The person that touched me the most in that prison was the Catholic priest. Jean-Albert Ablay was his name, and the, and the nuns, Sister Catherine. And they, I realized in a short time they were doing what I was preaching. I was, I was preaching about helping the poor and loving those who were sick and visiting this, and they were doing it. Yeah. And... Uh, I had to begin to examine my theology and my life and change, and thank God I did. It was thanks to the Catholics. Wow. When we come back, I want to explore exactly from that moment why it was that they became so compelling by their example and what that did to you. And then, of course, what that has meant to us today. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Richard Borgman, and he is a convert to the Catholic Church, but long after he'd been a very active missionary for Jesus Christ through the evangelical uh, charismatic side of the house. When we come back, we're going to find out what made him fully Catholic, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Richard Borgman, and I will say that Danielle, his beautiful wife, is here in the studio listening as well. First of all, thank you very much for being here, Richard. You've been very candid, spiritually candid, about your journey toward ministry in in the Catholic faith. We were talking about the whole idea of a life dedicated to Jesus Christ is different from a life where Jesus is just simply your uh, Savior. And you took on a life that was dedicated to Jesus being your Lord. Hmm. But now you were confronted in these prisons in, in Africa you were there as a missionary. You were ministering to the poor that were there that were crowded into these horrible conditions where you had three, four times the number of people crowded into these cells, and they didn't know really who Jesus is. They never experienced love. Someone who had been abandoned as a child grew up to minister to people who were abandoned as a people. Mm-hmm. And you witnessed people not only preaching about the love of Jesus come to them, but you were taken aback, it sounds like, by Mm. some Catholics who were actually doing it. Mm. How did this change your life? I really have to thank the Catholics, the Catholic Church, Catholic spirituality, because that's what uh, sucked us in. Uh, I I had a vision one time. I saw a vacuum, big vacuum cleaner, and there were people all over. And 
somebody plugged the vacuum cleaner in, and the people that were all there were pull, pulled into the vacuum cleaner. And I thought, Lord, what does that mean? And I saw written over it, mercy sucks. <laughs> mercy <laughs> sucks people in. And the Catholics just sucked me in. It was because in the prison, I, you know, I was trained by a group called the Navigators in Colorado Springs, and um, I knew how to reach upper middle class white university students. And here I was in Africa. Well, that was the culture you and were teaching was, it. Yeah. yeah. And there was, there was nobody like that. And so I had Not to learn. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, I devour everything in front of me to learn it, to to uh, digest it, and to, uh, and of course, I would interpret and I would maul it up and all that. But <clears throat> I was very open in Africa. I was sick all the time there. I had migraines for 40 years every day of my life, and I was healed the first of December 2018. Thank God for that. And I looked around me and went, where where did the migraines go? But they stopped after 40 years. But that kind of prepared me to be with people who suffered greatly because I physically had this suffering plus my soul because my mother had abandoned me. And so in the prison ministry, I, I had to go to the Catholic priest and say, how do I do this? I don't know what to do, you know. And uh, he said, well, there was two things that happened. One, my wife came to the prison with me sometimes, and she said, Richard, we can't just go and preach conversion in the chapel. we got to do something for the people who are dying of starvation. So she went and begged bones from a, a Lebanese restaurant. We made soup, took it back to the prison. And we started with uh, 15 people. She took the food into the hospital, 130 dying in the hospital. And she w- took the uh, uh, 15 sickest and gave them some soup. And then we started baking bread and yogurt and all. It just, it just grew and grew and grew. And pretty soon we were given 150 meals twice a week. And to this day, we're still giving those meals without American money. We don't believe in some other country providing it. But from within the country, we've given over a million meals, which is not a huge amount. But in three prisons in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, uh, other cities there. And no, it's, it is a huge amount. It's just the problem is so much larger. Yeah. So everything had to change. And so I was reading the scriptures, you know, well, if the Catholics aren't wrong, maybe there's some right about it. So I read John 6 and I came out and went, Jesus is really present in the Eucharist. It's so obvious. It's like 20 times there in John chapter 6. How could somebody (laughs) not believe that? Well, what I would do, I always skipped over the Catholic stuff, you know, and tradition in Second Thessalonians uh, 2.15 and all. And I just started seeing all these verses which uh, verified what my heart was learning from this Catholic priest and the nun that was in the prison. And I'm sure they were praying for me <laughs> to get converted, too. And step by step, uh, I accepted Catholic doctrine, especially compassion and the the fact that you got involved with people's lives and i had uh we have a book called search for the beautiful garden and it's 36 points i had against the catholic church well one by one i was converted to see that those were lies they weren't true there were 36 things i i had believed falsely against the catholic church and and the 36th point is probably the most important one and that's kind of what i want to share uh if it's time to yeah. do that it's 1997. It was December, end of the year. I was in our missionary training school in Africa. We had 
uh, moved to France then for 13 years, but I still would go back to Africa to encourage our pastors and the churches that we had founded there. Uh, evangelical, totally evangelical. I was I was invited to Catholic churches around the world and basilicas to teach because we were very ecumenical from the standpoint of Protestant Catholic evangelical and at that time and uh, we weren't trying to convert Catholics we were just trying to learn to love like they did and uh, I was in prayer December about 27th 1997 and I said Lord what's a new verse what's a verse I can meditate on on 1998 and the Lord led me to Zechariah chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. You can look it up in your Bible in the Old Testament, Zechariah 7, verses 9 and 10. And basically it said, be kind and compassionate. And all of a sudden it hit me in the depths of my heart that I was unkind and not compassionate towards the people that lived the closest to me at two feet from me. I was great with the prisoners. We filled our house with ex-prisoners from up to eight different countries at a time. I mean, we we were the prison ministry in several prisons in the Ivory Coast where people were dying. And, and my wife, of course, was the instigator for all that. But somewhere in there, I got converted to it, too, and, and changed everything in our lives. And, and so I said, Lord... I realize I'm saved. I'm born again. You're my Lord. You brought us to Africa, a word in our hearts. And, and here we're serving you. And now you're, you're saying I'm, I'm unkind. I'm cruel. And there would be something in me that would just come out. You know, I'd get tired. I'd hurt uh, the migraines or whatever it was. And it just come out. And I would say cruel, harsh things to my wife and my kids, my, my the people I worked with and and people were were repelled by that because you never knew what was going to come out. It wasn't all the time. It was just every once in a while it would come out. So I I said, Lord, I still remember it like it was yesterday. I said, Lord, please show me the source and the solution, the source and the solution for this uh, anger and bitterness in my heart. And all of a sudden, I was there at the moment of the death of Jesus. I don't know how any other way to explain it. It took me six months to explain it afterwards. I was there. I was one of the thieves on the cross. I was dying, and I turned, and I saw the Christ with the crown of thorns on his head and the blood coming down uh, his cheeks, and his beard was torn and blood coming out everywhere, and his whole body was flagellated, and it was a ball of blood. And the Christ turned towards me as I was there in this deep inner experience. I was living the experience. And it was before the Passion film or any of that. And I'd never, I'd never met Christ crucified. I knew Christ resurrected. And I knew about that he was no longer on the cross, but I skipped over Good Friday and went to Sunday really quick. But now here I was, and and I was dying, one of the thieves on the cross, and, and Jesus turned towards me, and I heard him say in my heart, your problem, Richard, is that you hate your mother who abandoned you. You hate your mother who left you at birth. And all of a sudden, it was a free psychoanalysis at the cross. I understood my whole life. I pulled people towards me because I wanted to be loved. I wanted to love. But if they got too close, as long as they stayed in the crowd out there on the benches, it was okay. But if they got too close to that wound of my mother abandoning me at birth, then I would push them away violently with words. I weighed 115 pounds. I'm 5'10 in Africa for, for 17 years. 115 pounds. I'd go to the prison and the prisoner 
prisoners would give me food. I was so thin. They thought I was a prisoner. And Jesus turned towards me a second time in this encounter with Christ, and he looked me in the eyes, and he said in my heart, the same voice I'd heard that said, you're going to serve me in Africa, that same voice that I had learned to listen to and obey, said to me, and you hate my mother, Mary. And I'd never thought about Mary. I believed in the real presence in the Eucharist. I believed in compassion. I, I loved Mother Teresa and John Paul II, but, but I never thought of Mary. I think I was terrified of motherhood because one mother at least had abandoned her son at birth when I was born in 1947. And all of a sudden I realized it would somehow it was going to be through Mary that the transformation would change in me from bitterness to mercy. And it wasn't getting saved. I was saved. It wasn't getting lordship. He's the Lord of my life. But it was taking another step to enter into the fellowship of the saints, to meet the rest of the family, to meet his mother for my life. And so I just began to weep. I was 51 years old, like a child. I wept, and I said, oh, Lord, forgive me for all these years of hardness of heart, and please, please heal me of this now. And all of a sudden, I felt physically the roots of bitterness lift off of my heart, and I knew I was healed of the roots of bitterness. I can still get angry, and I, and I, I go to confession, uh, but I no longer have the roots of bitterness. And Jesus, I heard Jesus in my heart speak very, very truthfully and subtly and silently in my heart. And he said, here's your mother. I share my mother, Mary, with you. And right away I said yes to Mary. I didn't understand the theology. And Mary came into my life and took her place there. You know, you've got a mother. You've got a father. They love you. Well, you still need Mary in your life. But imagine somebody that didn't have a mother and a father. How much more did I need Mary in my life that to change the bitterness into mercy? I fell in love with Mary, head over your heels, in love with Mary, and with the Catholic. Catholic Church. I knew everything that was wrong with the Catholic Church. I mean, I was an evangelical pastor for 25 years, but now all of a sudden, I loved the church, and, and it didn't matter the mistakes that had been made in the 15th century or in the 5th century or whatever it was. Now, I was just in love like a man is with a young girl, like when I met my wife so many years ago, 55 years ago now, and that changed everything. Two weeks later, a priest was praying for my wife and I. I had not told her what happened to me in Africa. And Mary came, and he was praying for us for the Father's blessing. This was in Paris, France. And, and he said, oh, Father, come and bless your children. I sense that there's conflict in their couple. And, and we knew there was conflict because there was this barrier of this unkindness and cruelty in my life. But now Jesus had led me to his mother, you usually have it the other way around. It's Mary that leads you to Jesus. Well, in this case, it was Jesus led me to his mother. And the priest prayed, uh, Father, come and bless him. And he had a hand on each of us. And uh, what happened was the mother came. And Mary came. And both of us felt the maternal, merciful presence of the mother of God 
the mother of Jesus. They came. We don't worship Mary. Worship is for Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. But we met Mary. Jesus sent his mother, and she just wrapped us in her wonderful arms of mercy. And that changed everything in our life. One year later, we became Catholic, and we've been thanking God every day since. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Richard Borgman, and he has been relating how his life as an abandoned child turned devout missionary, yet still agonizing in his heart, was healed by Jesus on the cross sending his mother, Mary, to be the mother he never had, and how real that became for him so that it led him into the Catholic faith. When we come back, I want to ask you, Richard, what has this meant to you the last several years that you've been now Catholic? You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been actually uh, Mr. and Mrs. Borgman. You haven't heard Danelle. She's uh, elected to listen to her husband. She's not the front person when it comes to speaking, I don't think. So she's not. She's shaking her head now. But thank you for coming and, and being the silent presence, much like the Holy Spirit in our lives, coming in at just the right moments to even even a smile can sometimes say a lot. But I want to thank you so much, Richard, for the, as I said before, the candid sharing of your spirituality, but the depth of your presentation of how you came to understand who who Jesus is through Mary. You mentioned during the break that this is a lot like a a priest, like your son, offering the, the host at the moment of consecration. That's how it felt to be a part of this. I have not heard a conversion shared like that before, and I want to thank you very much for thank you for being willing to share that with us. This has changed your entire life, even though you led a life that changes lives. Hmm. How would you describe what your life has been since then? Boy, it's it's. That was nineteen ninety seven. Nineteen ninety seven, the end of ninety seven, and the first two weeks of ninety eight, where Mary came to our lives, and I think the Lord knew, of course, that. When he got me, he would get someone that would announce what he's doing. In it. So I thought everybody would want to invite Mary to come and be their spiritual mother, the mother of Jesus. And so I just uh, we we would do uh, hundreds of meetings every year around the world and were invited in all kinds of churches, Catholic, Protestant, Evangelical, Pentecostal and but now Mary had come into our lives, and uh, we had met Jesus crucified at the cross. And uh, so I started announcing it in meetings, and you would not believe the reactions of the evangelicals. They would jump up on the chairs, and they would scream, and, oh, it was a, it was a reaction I didn't realize was going to come. And so uh, it took about a year for us to decide that we were more Catholic than a lot of Catholics. So we went to a bishop <laughs> in the, the middle of, we Very found true. that there were Catholics that didn't like the church. That when, didn't I like Mary. Catholic, yeah. when I became Catholic, I looked around and said, where are all the Catholics? Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> and so we went to a bishop, uh, Monsignor de Germigny, in Blois in the middle of France, and we told him our story. And 
And he looked at us, and, and who is now Father Scott was with us. So he heard our story, just like we've just yeah. shared it here. Is your son. And, and the bishop looked at me. I had, I had this cross that I have here, uh, and I had uh, the secret of Mary in the other pocket, and I had my pastoral aura over my head because I was still an evangelical pastor and, and uh, my suit and tie and all that, and uh, told him the story, and he said, well, you're going to have to make a choice. You can't ride two horses at the same time. He said, half my family are Protestants, so I know the challenge before you. You've got to decide. So I raised my hand. I said, I want to be Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at my wife, and he saw the horror in her eyes, not of the idea of becoming Catholic, but she kind of knew what it was going to cost to become Catholic. And so he said, wait till you're both in agreement. We went away. I didn't pressure her. Two weeks later, she was talking to Jesus, and and she felt Jesus was saying, what do you want to do? And she told him, she said, I, I don't want to ever be without the Eucharist or Mary in my life. And so I'm ready to become Catholic and take a chance. And so we went back to the bishop. He received us again, Miracle of Miracles. And he got out his his uh, calendar and he said, how about two months from now, the 2nd of February? <laughs> I will confirm you in my private chapel. You can invite 25 people and I will buy and prepare a lunch for you and so we had 27 people come he said i won't do it in in the cathedral because it will start a war of religion we were very well known throughout the french world we've done tens of thousands of meetings around the world and we were known as an evangelical pastor who was able to bridge the gap between catholics and Protestants. and now i went home off the bridge with the catholics and and you crossed over to the other side what happened nobody (laughs) knew what to do with that so we were confirmed the 2nd of February, the, the day of the presentation of Jesus in the temple. And uh, we w- that next week, we went back to Jackson, Mississippi, which was our home church in America. And pastors came from around America that supported us uh, in prayer, financially, friendship, everything. And for four and a half hours, we poured our, our hearts about the fellowship of the saints, which brought us uh, to the point of becoming Catholic and and they listened attentively because we were doing it. We had founded many churches and ministries and schools and all kinds of things in Africa, so they couldn't criticize our work, you know. But after four and a half hours, the head pastor looked at us and he said, I can't fault you for anything biblically. What you have told us about the fellowship of the saints is definitely biblical. He said, I'm not there yet, so goodbye. So we got on a plane. We went back to Paris. Many of the Catholic churches had already said, we don't want you to come anymore because we wanted you as an evangelical pastor, not as a Catholic. And a man met us at the airport. He said, there's a priest in Paris who wants to hear your story. He's read one of your books, and he's heard that you became Catholic. And so he took us to this man, uh, Dominique Ray was his name, who was uh, the pastor of probably the largest uh, charismatic Catholic church in Paris. He was a pastor with 11 priests in his parish. That's wow. a lot in one parish. I don't know anywhere in the world where I've seen 11 priests. And, and he said... He's not a bishop, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, I just want to hear your story. So for an hour, we did what we've just done here. And uh, he told me later, he said, I, my heart said, this is authentic. This is what had happened. And he said... 
The next day, he got in the train and came down south of Blow-Off for two hours to spend the day with us. The pastor of this immense church spent the day with us, and he said, would you come and share that in my church on Sunday morning in the place of the homily? And I knew they didn't do that in Catholic churches, and so we shared before many, many people. But we lost all of our friends, 10,000 evangelical friends around the world, abandoned us, and uh, 640 pastors I knew well all around the world. Fortunately, the Internet was not developed very good, so we didn't get a whole lot of hate mail uh, on the Internet. But uh, but one drop of Mary is more powerful than 25 years of being an evangelical pastor. She's dynamite, nitroglycerin. This is because Jesus determined that. She was faithful to the end. So we did not know what we were going to do. So this priest in the at the Trinity in Paris says, well, come and help me. He says, you know how to evangelize. You had Jesus before Mary ever came in your life. You believe in the Eucharist. He said, help me in my church, please. So uh, we taught the ABCs of the Catholic faith <laughs> in this church in Paris. We'd been Catholics for a few months, and we taught the Gospel of Mark because I knew the Scriptures sure. really well. Now they were balanced out, and I yeah. saw the Catholicism in the Scriptures. For one year, we did that, and it was fun. It was just and. We continued to travel the places that would. How wonderful still that must have been, though, to oh, be able to. It was to, refreshing. Yes, Nothing like it. To link it back together, yeah. Because most of my life as a missionary has been on the streets, uh, ministering on the streets. So uh, at the end of the year, the priest, uh, Dominique, came to us on the streets of Paris. I remember seeing in his eyes, and he says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to. Uh, you can't work with me anymore here because uh, I'm no longer going to be the pastor. And, and he said, but in the next breath, he said, but I've been named Bishop of Fréjus Toulon in the south of France, near Marseille. He said, would you please come and help and teach in my seminary and the lay ministry and set up evangelization tours for people? And, and Danell said, I don't want to move. We had moved every two years and didn't want to move. But we decided at least to go to his ordination at the seminary. There's a seminary there. And so we went and we're at the dinner down in uh, Toulon, and Danelle leaned over to me and she said, Richard, I really don't want to come to Toulon, but if the Lord the Lord wants me to come, I will. And I jumped up and I went to uh, Monseigneur Ray, uh, Dominique, and I said, Dominique, go to Danelle quick, because she said yes. And he ran over to her and he said, <laughs> tomorrow I will show you your house. And he, <laughs> he gave us the house next to the rectory, and we moved in there, and for four years, we had the most wonderful time learning Catholicism from the interior, and and, and we traveled all around the world together, and we danced together, and we preached together, and, and it was a wonderful introduction to the Catholic Church, and uh, so it's just been a delight to be Catholic, and we actually love all of those people who taught us so much in the evangelical churches, but we are happy, 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 happy to be Catholic, and our son is a priest. He worked at the Vatican for five years, and here he is in Southern California, and we're doing a three-day retreat at St. Martin de Porres uh, each night, 6.30 is Mass, 
And 7 o'clock, it's in your Belinda. And I don't know if I was supposed to give a plug for that, but I did. <laughs> you can, but by the time this airs, it'll be over. <laughs> okay. But that's sir. okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bottom line, then, is God had a marvelous work ready for you mm. from the moment you were called from the womb of your mother, whom you've never known. Mm. What a fantastic story about God and Mary and the entire Catholic Church mm. coming to enliven you, to empower you so that you could bring people back to Christ. Mm-hmm. Richard, would you be so kind as to lead all of us in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. As we look back on 50 years of ministry, how how many times you've caught us when we fall, and so amazing how you led us into the Catholic Church, and it's because you are Our Lord Jesus, if you had been only Savior, I am sure we would not have said yes to go to Africa to serve you in the prisons and to say yes to Mary in our lives. And I just can't thank you enough for that and for all you have planned for us in the future. And everybody that's out there hearing this, please don't be afraid to make Jesus Lord of your life and realize it's it's a second step in this conversion story. Savior is enough to get you into heaven. Lordship will get you into the heart of God in ways you cannot even imagine to where he speaks to you often. And as you fearfully obey, then he will speak to you and lead you. And the conversions are amazing. And the rosary becomes the center of your prayer life. Lord, Touch all of the people that are listening, please. Have mercy on them. They've been beaten up and that some are wounded and in prisons and, and rejected and abandoned by their mother the way I was. And, and, and so many of these wounds just seem incurable. And yet at the cross with Mary there, there is nothing that is impossible. I know that because it happened to me. Let that little bit of faith that we have be transferred over to all the listeners that they might say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life today and help me not to do something stupid that would hurt somebody else or your creation. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus and Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us, your children, now at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, St. Anne, St. Mary Magdalene, pray for for us. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Wow. Once again, thank you, Richard and Danelle, for coming into the studio and (laughs) to be willing to so openly share about how Christ has moved you to a life of lordship. You are listening to Orange County Catholic Radio, and if you would like to share this podcast with someone else, and this is a podcast I would like to share myself, you can go to OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab toward the top, and that will take you to about eight shows that we produce, including this flagship show, the Orange County Catholic Radio Program. And there you can share this as a podcast shortly after it has been broadcast the first time. On behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, I want to thank you all for listening, and we will see you again next week.